What is up, everybody? Welcome back to TMT Time. I'm your host, Evan Rothstein. Today, I'm delighted to have a true TMT guest in TMT Time, and I'm speaking about Joseph Radicke, who is the head of TMT Investing at KPMG. So he knows TMT. Joseph, welcome into the podcast. Well, Evan, thank you very much. I'm very pleased to be here. All right, Joseph, before we get into anything about 2021 and 2022, why don't you give our listeners a little bit of background and how you got to be the head of TMT Investing at KPMG? Great. Thank you, Evan. I'm happy to do it. So yes, yeah, so I sit inside the investment bank inside KPMG. Uh, we are a middle market focused advisory firm uh, with a global presence. We've got 2,500 investment bankers around the world, uh, about 700 of whom are focused in the technology, media, and telecom investment banking space. Uh, we're an advisory firm, meaning that all we do is work with clients on st critical strategic events like sell side M&A, buy side M&A, some capital formation for late stage growth companies. Uh, but in the middle markets, transaction value less than 500 million. There's no one more active on the globe than KPMG. We closed about 540 deals last year globally. So I sit as the head of TMT at the firm. Uh, there are about seven managing directors in the US and other uh, 60 or so around the world that are focused across various subsectors within TMT. And once again, we're very active in middle market M&A for TMT clients globally and here in the US. So for our listeners, I think it's fair to say that Joseph knows what he's talking about if he heads a group that closed over 500 transactions in that space last year. So you are the perfect person to give our listeners an overview of what happened in TMT in the M&A space in 2021. So let's just start there, Joseph. Tell us sort of where it happened, industries, who it was, what did you and KPMG see in, from 2021? You, you bet, happy to do it. So um, yeah, listen, it's been well, well recorded by now and well reported that the M&A markets on 21 were on fire. Um, there was over a trillion dollars of transaction activity in M&A last year, uh, which is a new record. Uh, from a deal volume standpoint, the number of transactions uh, significantly up from the previous year. So globally across all M&A, not just TMT, we saw about 24,000, almost 25,000 transactions in 2021. And that's up from about uh, 21,500 in the prior year. Here in the US, likewise, about 7,200 transactions globally, I'm sorry, across all uh, sectors last year, not just TMT up from about 6,400 the prior year. If you're looking specifically at, uh, at TMT, um, we saw again, a record year in 21, about uh, 1,800 transactions, close to 1,900 transactions in the US in the technology, media and telecom space, representing aggregate deal value of about $30 billion. Um, in 21, we saw uh, it's about 1,600 transactions, so up considerably. Not a record year um, compared to 2017 last year, but a, a, but a breakneck pace uh, relative to the prior year. And really, we saw a lot of that volume late in the year. Um, uh, in the fourth quarter, we, there was a tidal wave of activity that, uh, that really drove those numbers through, uh, through the end of the year. So who, who were... Who was putting the money in? Was it institutional investors, private equity, funds? Yeah, Where was it coming from? It's a, it's a great question. We, For the first time last year, we saw private equity represent more than 
uh, of the transaction volume in the space. And that's up from, you know, five years ago, it was closer to 25%. So we've really seen private equity uh, uh, you know, lurch forward in terms of the volume of transactions compared to corporate buyers, uh, corporate acquirers. Uh, that's driven really, uh, uh, Evan, by the, the massive amount of capital that sits in private equity hands um, uh, of committed capital, committed but unspent. Um, there's actually about $1.4 trillion of capital sitting in the hands of private equity firms in the form of commitments. Uh, and as we all understand, private equity firms, they, they build their value for their, for their limited partners by putting that money to work and value for themselves by making that, that uh, money work for them in a, in a very productive way. So if they, if they do well for their limiteds, uh, they can do incredibly well for themselves by putting the money to work. Do you think that the, the private equity folks were particularly targeting the TMT space in 2021? It sounds like at the end of the year, at least it sounded like they were. Well, we're certainly seeing a, a, an expanse, expansion in the number of private equity firms that are focused in, in tech and TMT. Uh, and, and yes, you know, you know, private equity was very much involved with that, that, uh, that volume of, of, uh, of M&A activity toward the end of the year, that bubble that came through at the end of the year. So um, we're seeing funds that are being raised specifically for tech. Uh, we're seeing you know, larger funds where they they're, uh, have among their investment thesis uh, TMT broadly uh, as, as a core component of how they're going to how they're going to employ that capital uh, over time. So, so yes, private equity has been very active, and uh, and you know they're they're challenged in this environment where where we are seeing these kinds of volumes uh, and the the value uh, accretion that has happened, the multiple expansion that's happened in this space. Private equity firms have had to become much more aggressive um, when they can't bring to bear the synergies that a strategic buyer can bring to bear. They have to adjust their return expectations and come at those opportunities with, with a, a multiple that they may not have been comfortable with three, five, six years ago. So let me ask you this. So as the head of TMT banking or iBanking, a private equity fund could come to you, Joseph, and say, look, I'm, I have $100 million of, of capital here that's on the sidelines. I want to get more into the TMT space. Can you help me source a deal? We, we, we certainly are involved with, with firms uh, assisting them on, on their buy side activity, really their, their search function to go out and find the right opportunities in TMT uh, that meet the criteria, their investment criteria. More often than not, though, Evan, um, you know, firms like ours as an intermediary, we're, we're, we're representing the seller. Uh, we're involved in putting deal flow across the desks of, of private equity firms in the form of engaged clients. Um, and, and again, given the deal volume we do here at KPMG, we're, we're a very active source of quality opportunities for private equity, uh, as, well, as well as strategic buyers. And I think due to the nature of our firm overall, we've got relationships with the, the big strategics in the TMT space and the private equity firms who are interested here um, uh, beyond the investment banking piece. Uh, so we become a pretty important uh, uh, partner for those both corporate and private equity players who are actively looking for opportunities in the space. I want to talk a little bit, Joseph, about what you think were sort of the drivers or the key factors that resulted in this big TMT year, I guess you said biggest since 2017. What were some of the things that drove this investment of capital in this space in 2021? Sure. So I, th I think the the, the one of the most uh, prevalent factors in our conversations with both um, 
the uh, the clients who we're working with on the sell side as well as buyers uh, is is the appreciation for over the course of most of the year uh, the risk of a meaningful tax environment change, so that the administration's plans for uh, uh, an alteration in capital gains drove a lot of discussion around M and A really through you know mid third quarter until it became apparent that in fact the administration was not going to have the opportunity to make that change. Uh, but by then, you know, many, many sellers were, were down the path of having not already executed down the path on, on, uh, on a sell side process or um, had made the, made the decision they were going to sell and, and, and didn't back off of that because of a delay in potential tax change. So I think the tax environment was, was a big impetus around, uh, around some of that volume shift we saw. I think the second thing is, um, is just the, uh, the overall uh, valuation environment. Again, you know, we are we continue on a remarkable multi-year run in in M and A more broadly and in TMT M and A, where we've seen years of of very strong M and A volumes um, that are met by uh, by very strong valuations being attributed to quality assets by buyers, and so uh, in, in multiple markets of TMT and whether it's uh, whether it's SaaS software or uh, or high rel semiconductor kind of solutions, uh, IoT has certainly been a big driver uh, for M and A. Um, all of those spaces have seen significant valuation uh, accretion over the course of the last several years, with last year being as strong as any. And that I think uh, had a big uh, big impact on the volumes we saw last year. I think as well, the, the COVID, well, well it, it slowed down M&A in 2020. It actually, that slowdown was part of what drove the volumes we saw in 21, right? We've had several months in 20 where deal volumes were very low. Um, we saw the end of 20 uh, it was quite strong from a volume standpoint. Uh, and you know, that pushed deal activity into 21. So the impact of COVID, I think, on the M&A markets and TMT M&A in 21 was, uh, was, was positive due to the, the push of, of many transactions into 21 that otherwise would have happened in 20. Um, I think strategic buyers in, in, the, uh, in the space, uh, particularly the, the, uh, M the, the TMT space, um, have seen uh, a great deal of activity around some key components of, of, of their go-to-market and whether it's plugging a hole in their product offering, their feature set, the, you know, the, the, the technology uh, uh, portfolio they may have, or, uh, or leapfrogging into a more relevant position in some of the faster moving spaces and whether that's you know, the, the information security, cybersecurity markets, uh, industrial technologies, industrial internet, uh, once again, uh, always, in the, it seems in the last several years, the SaaS space has been very fast moving and acquirers have been very aggressive there. So I think for strategic buyers, the drivers uh, have, have, uh, have resulted in them uh, uh, looking for opportunities across the value spectrum. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw a lot of bolt-ons, if you will, in the mm -hmm. tech space where someone, you said fill the hole, like they'll acquire a piece of software that fills a hole in their already existing software suite. All right, so you thought there was a buildup sort of, of sort of capital on the sidelines from 2020, get into 2021, people start deploying it more. Uh, you have investors or founders or owners of companies that are trying to get out ahead of the Biden administration's capital gains tax cuts so they can get their investments 
valued without having to pay much taxes on it. I think we saw that uh, with some of the, the billionaire founders of the large companies selling their shares. It's the same concept. Get out while I, I can't. No question, no question. And, and it's it, listen when, when when you're a, if you're the founder of a business that you know, it's your lifeblood and, and you're, you're a baby and you've got you know, 20, 25 years invested in that uh, and you've been contemplating a potential exit where you're going to pay 15% capital gains and you're faced with the prospect of that potentially changing to 42 or 45%, that's a pretty strong motivator. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even if it doesn't take 25 years. You invest three years as an entrepreneur in a startup and you're thinking it's a 50% or 40%. I'm getting out while the, the going's good. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, there's no question. So the, the policy didn't come to fruition. Uh, and so did you, and you said, but you saw a big upturn at the end of 2021. Are you going to see a slowdown now? Is that what you're seeing? No, you know, not at all, actually. And, and I would just point to the fact that, that, that part of what drove the, that volume relative to the threat and a tax change is the likelihood the administration is successful in, in getting its tax policy implemented in some piece of legislation in, in the, in the uh, legislative year of 2022 um, with the risk that it could be retroactive to January 1st or even act, you know, uh, even go into effect the minute it's signed, right? So there was still a lot of motivation, even though people understood that the tax change was not going to hit um, on a transaction uh, that happened in the first part of the year, getting something done by the end of the year became, uh, became a, a key, a key uh, objective of many sellers. Um, we're not seeing that, that slow down. Certainly from a tax standpoint, there are still folks that, that, that don't want to face that, that, that magnitude of, of an alteration in, in their tax obligation upon an exit. Uh, but beyond the tax impact, uh, boy, there's there's just no sign right now sitting here in late January that that the volume of activity is abating at all. Um, uh, you know, we here at KPMG are incredibly busy uh, in the investment bank, and and I'm hearing from friends and and colleagues and competitors the same thing that uh, the volumes are, are are maintaining off of Q4. Uh, we are we are pitching new business, uh, both private equity exit and founder exit, um, at it seems breakneck pace. So, um, uh, you know, right now, I think our sense is, our sense has been that we don't see the, the market necessarily slowing down in a meaningful way in 22. We think this market can hold. Here in the first quarter, it seems that the volumes are are as strong as they were last year. So it, it continues to be a very, very interesting environment across TMT and, and frankly, across m and more broadly. Is the is that true for both strategic investors that are already in the tech space and, and private equity funds that are either trying to get in or grow their pie? Well, I think it's, I think it's, it's true for both. Now, you know, there, there are certainly buyers that were, that were incredibly active last year and the year before, and, and there's always a, a period of digestion, right, where integration becomes, especially on the strategic side, where integration becomes the next uh, primary focus to make sure that uh, what they acquire lands well and is, is, is well leveraged and, and, and can operate uh, well within the new environment. Uh, having said that, you know, uh, there are a long list of strategics who continue to be in, in the markets I've highlighted um, uh, in the TMT space uh, and can continue to be very aggressive there. And, and as I said, you know, on the private equity side, there's just way, way too much capital chasing quality ideas. So uh, very active and aggressive activity from, from, uh, from private equity acquirers as well here in the first quarter. 
what is the breakdown between the investments made by some of these funds uh, between sort of a, a minority investment or a full-on control investments or buyouts? Are you what is the breakdown amongst those, or what are you seeing? Sure. Well, listen. I think that there continues to be a great deal of activity uh, uh, in TMT or on the growth investing uh, opportunities, and this is both strategic and and private equity. Right. There are a long list of of large technology companies uh, who who maintain either a formal uh, uh, venture like or growth investment vehicle, um, as well as those that that invest on a minority basis on a less formal basis. They don't have a you know, Honeywell Ventures or a Cisco Ventures uh, like like vehicle, but they still participate on a minority basis. Um, you know, private equity is it tends to be much more rigid about that. You know, some funds do not have in their in their uh, agreements with their LPs minority investing. Some funds have to have to pursue only control investments. Um, but look, the, the growth investing environment is is incredibly active as well. And I'm I'm, I'm not speaking here about venture capital, uh, different animal. I'm speaking here about you know, late stage growth investing, really, you know, putting that next tank of gas in the engine so it can continue its, its aggressive growth and roar off. Um, so, um, uh, yeah, the growth investing is, is, is an animal unto itself. Uh, and, and we really think of it, honestly, a bit uh, alongside of the broader M&A markets. Uh, when we talk about M&A, we're talking about control transactions, whether that be a 51% trade or a, or a 100% acquisition of a business. Uh, that's kind of how we think about about the M&A piece. And, uh, and again, I, th- I don't think we see any reason to, to believe that uh, private equity won't be as active in 22 as it was in 21, where, as I said earlier, represented over 40% of the total transaction volume. What's the timeline on deals in going on in the TMT space? Are they quick? Are people coming to you saying, here's my business, I need that extra tank of gas, whatever have you? I need to close in X amount of time, you know, shop me around to five people and let's get this done. What, what, how's the process working right now? That's a great question. So the answer is that, that uh, we are seeing process timelines contract, um, especially for highly attractive sought after companies. Um, and so uh, in the TMT space, you know, the, the, you know the, the, some of the sectors I've, I've already highlighted, uh, are seeing, you know, and, and we're working with companies who don't want to go out and run uh, a, a broad market process and approach 300 buyers. They want to approach six, eight, 10 buyers um, and, and stipulate a very rigid and very tightly controlled process to drive a, a closing in, in relatively short order. You know, we're big believers here that, that in any market environment, time is the enemy of every deal. Um, you know, that, that maintaining uh, a tight timeline uh, will, will benefit the seller. It will ultimately benefit the buyer. Um, and so it's something that we, we push pretty hard here. But we are seeing that across transactions in the space is that a typical, you know, kind of five to seven month process in a market as strong as this one uh, is, is, is seeing that contraction. So, you know, we're seeing three and four and five month kind of, uh, kind of closings because of the ability to control the number of parties you're going to, to, to limit the, uh, the duration of, of diligence processes, um, not the depth, but the duration. So buyers have to be ready to commit significant resources to conduct their required diligence just on a much shorter timeline. 
Um, so yes, we are seeing timelines contract for for those properties that are that are driving you know outstanding outcomes and have a truly differentiating technology uh, and market presence. So are you advising the sellers in those instances to sort of get their data room set up and everything in there ready to go and their you know audited statements or unaudited statements so that they can meet a three to five month or three to four month timeline? Yeah, no, no question. Listen, when when we see delays in 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 a deal process, ninety nine times out of a hundred, the delay is the result of the seller's ability to deliver on its diligence the, the diligence requests of its buyer. And so, being organized coming into the process with with a well constructed data room, and your investment banker can can help you understand what that looks like, having a quality of earnings in hand, potentially a full vendor diligence report on the seller in hand, all of those things will drastically shorten the timeline to go from initial conversations with a counterparty to closing a transaction. You mentioned valuations, and I'm interested just for my own edification, is it in the TMT space still EBITDA multiple base, or is it are there some doing revenue multiple base transactions? Uh, another good question. So it, it really depends on on the revenue relationship uh, that the, the company has with its customers. Uh, in a traditional model where it's it's software licensing and maintenance along potentially if it's a hardware enabled software platform with a hardware sale or certainly for a hardware company, uh, these are still trading on EBITDA multiples. Now, they are stronger EBITDA multiples than they were three and four and five years ago but EBITDA multiples nonetheless. The minute you start to, to introduce uh, a recurring revenue as a service subscription-based relationship between the provider and its customers, that, that valuation methodology shifts to a revenue-focused. Um, and so if, if there's still a balance of hardware sales and SaaS software subscription contracts, then most buyers will approach that on a sum of the parts basis. Uh, wherein they'll, they'll look at the hardware revenue and its resulting EBITDA and apply an EBITDA multiple there. Then they'll look at the SaaS revenue uh, and the quality of the contracts, the, the credits behind the contracts, the duration of the contracts. And they will, based on those things, apply a revenue multiple to the SaaS revenue and, and layering the two get two together on a pro rata basis, come up with a value a, a, a approach. Um, increasingly, we're seeing companies, even traditionally hardware companies, building a full as a service subscription based relationship with their customers, where the software or even the software and the hardware are folded into that subscription contract. Customers are paying for that monthly subscription for access to those technologies, hardware and software. And 100% of the revenue is recognized as as a service revenue. And those models are, 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 are typically valued based on pure revenue multiples. And in this environment, Evan, we're seeing remarkably strong uh, valuations uh, of, of companies that are pursuing this kind of model, either pure SaaS or, as we've coined, software and hardware as a service. So SaaS models. Um, you know, we've, we're working oh, yes, with companies. Yes, I like that. that. I'm going to keep that SaaS. What do you think? Yeah. yeah I've like not it. copyrated it. Yes, you, well, you're, you're I mean, to use it. Look, the tech space is a lot of subscriptions, a lot of SaaS or as a service, insert something at the beginning, you know, models yep. at this point. So no, no, they're getting revenue multiples. No question. Um, no question. And, and honestly, we're seeing there is this thing that, that has been coined in the last couple of years, not by us, but in the market called rule of 40 companies in the SaaS space. These are companies that have 
you know, 40% plus growth. And once they build scale, have 40% EBITDA margins. Um, I would suggest for companies that are building that scale and growing at 40% plus, if they're growing at that level and are putting up 70, 75, 80% gross margins, those kinds of businesses are selling for into the teens of revenue multiple. Um, and this is a revenue multiple, Evan, that's not applied to the, to the last fiscal year or to the trailing 12 months. It's a revenue multiple applied to, to the last month closed what? And the amount of SaaS really? revenue in that month or of SaaS uh, revenue. In this. So you're going you're gonna to annualize. For, here we are in January. Yeah. We're going to take our clients' December recurring revenue, monthly recurring revenue, and multiply it by 12. And then and, multiply it by in the and teens? And multiply it by your, by your multiple, your valuation multiple. You know, call it 12, 13, 14, 15. I mean, there, we are seeing companies... Um, in in the SaaS space, in the in the IoT space, in the industrial te technology space, that employ a, an as a service revenue relationship with their customers, and we're seeing those companies driving successfully landing and closing transactions in the 12, 14, 15 times last month's annualized monthly recurring revenue. That's insane. Yep. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, why, well. Look, that's you just explained why people are selling, <laughs> why the market yeah. market's frothy, as I've heard, uh, yeah, it, and it's it, going to continue. These multiples are 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 very very healthy. All right, so I want to get into twenty twenty two a little bit before we uh, bail out here, uh, Joseph. So let's look at the year. What do you think is going to happen? I know you've said you don't see any signs of slowing down in terms of the frothiness of the market. I like saying that. Um, what are the distractions or things that could interrupt that or you guys are seeing on the horizon that may slow things down? Well, I think it starts with uh, uh, some of the geopolitical forces at play. And, uh, and you know, things, these things weren't necessarily in, in focus a year ago or two years ago. And, you know, whether it's uh, the very current issue of um, you know, of Russian uh, military assets on the Ukrainian border, uh, or you know, uh, you know, China making moves in the Atlantic, or yeah, or you know, name name the the current geopolitical topic. Um, some of these things are are, in, are, in, are a more sharp focus today than they were previously. Um, and certainly, you know, whenever you've got a potential incursion across a sovereign state line, <laughs> yeah. those kinds of things. Oh, yeah, can, we got Russia yeah. toying yeah. around with Ukraine, right? There you go. We've got geopolitical issues that, that will be a distraction. Um, and depending on the response and the magnitude of that response, um, they could have a pretty material impact on, on the broader financial markets, uh, the, the uh, equity and debt markets, and as well, the M&A markets in particular. So I think um, that that's something that we will certainly be keeping our eyes on. Uh, you know, other current you know, topics that we're reading in the press uh, every day uh, range from inflation uh, and what that means to, to how uh, our economy is, is responding and its, its uh, implied impact on, on the debt markets. I mean, part of the reason we're seeing uh, such aggressive behavior across M&A is the availability of debt to support transactions. Um, as interest rates begin to creep up and uh, and uh, that debt becomes more expensive. Uh, it has the potential to 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 alter how buyers think about certainly the larger deals that require uh, or, or allow themselves to be uh, to be built around a debt uh, a debt thesis. Um, 
supply chain. I think you know we were hearing in December that with the holiday bubble behind us, uh, that uh, uh, that uh, companies were starting to see a light at the supply at the end of the supply chain tunnel. Um, here we are in January, and it seems as though that light is still quite a ways off. So, uh, supply chain will continue to be an issue, and uh, and across the TMT space, it, it is obviously a very impactful issue. Um, you know, if, uh, if, if, any, if any of these uh, of our clients have a hardware component to their solution, uh, no matter how minimal, understanding how they're managing access to, to, to those required elements of their solution uh, is a key, key aspect in terms of how we talk about timing of their transaction. Um, I think, yeah, the election has the potential to be a, a distraction this fall um, as we the march midterms. towards, yeah, there you go, the midterm elections. Yeah. I, I, I think... Uh, you know, look, it's 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 not a it's not you know, the four year presidential election. It's a midterm, uh, but it 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 will have policy implications in terms of what the, the the administration is able to accomplish over the course of the next two years, and including things like tax policy, right? So people are going to be uh, very careful to focus on on uh, what's anticipated in those elections and the actual outcomes. Um, and finally, I, I, I don't think you can be sitting here in, in this day and age and ignore uh, COVID. Uh, you, know, you know, I think from an Omicron standpoint, we are a few weeks behind Europe, but we're seeing Europe begin to, to, to look at uh, uh, coming off of peak infection rates and, and opening up again. And, um, and hopefully we're going to see something similar here. And, but there's always that, that question mark on the horizon of, you know, what is the next variant? How impactful will it be? And and uh, how, how are we prepared to, to deal with it? So I think that's, that's something that you have to acknowledge on the, on the landscape as well that could impact how we think about, uh, how we think about M&A in the, in the TMT space. All right, so Joseph, before we sign off, I wanna get a couple of quick hit predictions from you. What, what type of company, what type of technology uh, sitting out there on the sidelines, Wayne, you know, whether it should go through a process or, or have an exit or something. What, should, what are the things they need to be thinking about right now? And are there particular technologies or, or areas of the market that are particularly hot that you would say now's the time? Um, well, I, th I think there are a few sectors that, that are, uh, are in, are in uh, high on the list for many, many buyers and uh, acquirers in the tech space. I think, um, uh, Information security, so cybersecurity solutions. Uh, there's there continues to be a great deal of innovation, uh, and it may be required to be so, given how quickly that space moves and how how the good guys are keeping ahead of the bad guys. Um, uh, so I think in infotech and cyber will continue to be a very active space. Um, uh, healthcare tech, uh, and whether it's uh, the, the testing and uh, and uh, and uh, you know. Uh, kind of enterprise health tech solutions uh, uh, or, or the therapeutics in the pharmaceutical space uh, and, and uh, all the recent headlines around COVID are very much in focus here. Um, uh, healthcare tech, we think, will continue to be very active. Um, IoT has been a key driver of innovation, uh, improvements in efficiency and, uh, and, uh, and productivity on, the, on an industrial uh, scale. Um, so we, uh, there are a lot of players that are building scale and becoming more and more uh, prevalent as potential M&A targets and a lot of acquirers that continue to look at that space. Um, so those are some of the spaces we're seeing. In terms of your question around what can, what can potential, what could companies who are contemplating a potential exit do to begin to prepare? 
I think it's making sure that, that, that your financial house is in order, that you've got the, the proper internal systems uh, to be able to, to respond to a vigorous diligence process, uh, that you can, you can provide the right data, um, that you can answer questions around um, both financially and from an operating standpoint, um, uh, how a company is, how your company is, is performing and, and delivering its solution. Um, uh, I think uh, you know, having, having a very strong uh, uh, sense of go-to-market, kind of how you present yourself to the marketplace. Uh, these, you know, these areas will be critical uh, to any discussion you're having with a potential advisor like a KPMG corporate finance, uh, as well as when you're prepared to go out and sit down with uh, across the table from potential, potential acquirers. All right. Well, Joseph, this was awesome. Uh, maybe the first true TMT podcast here on TMT time. So uh, <laughs> thank you very much. I learned a ton. Uh, Happy New Year to you. Uh, thank you for your time today for joining us and good luck to you at uh, KPMG in the year ahead. Well, hey, Evan, I'm, I'm grateful to have been here. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. We, we truly enjoy our friends at Arnold Porter and, uh, and I appreciate the chance to uh, chat with you today.